the beginning and the end of any section of the Torah is always linked. And our spiritual service of Hashem is always linked between what Eibesh inspires us with, what's called Yisrusa Dele Eila, and what we respond with in terms of our efforts, called Yisrusa Dele Sata, which is where the real power lies, as we're about to discover. It's been explained numerous times. That any concept within Torah has a unique connection between its beginning and its end. As the Sefer Yitzira, the famous book of Kabbalah, teaches us, that the end is wedged into the beginning, and the beginning is linked and wedged in with the end. And so this must also apply to the Torah Tanakh. That there's always a link between the beginning and the end of each book within Tanakh and each parasha within the Torah. So let's look at ours, because we're now talking about concluding the third book of the Torah. So in our parasha, so the end of our parasha is not only the end of the parasha, but it's Hain the Sefer Vayikra, is the conclusion of the book of Vayikra. And obviously the end of the parasha is the end of the parasha. So we're going to have to conclude, we'll have to discover a shared theme between the beginning of the book of Ayikra and Hascholas Parshas Bechukhoisa, the beginning of the book uh, of the Parsha Bechukhoisa, the Sof Parshas Bechukhoisa, and the end of Bechukhoisa, which links both, of course, to the beginning of this Parsha itself and all the way back to the beginning of the book, Book of Ayikra. We're going to see something which is fascinating. When you have a look at Lukut Torah and you see how the Alter Rebbe explains the beginning of Sefer Vayikra and the beginning of Parshas B'chukhoisai, which is the parasha Chassidus de Shavuot Seid, or the Chassidus parasha for these weeks, it's very clearly portrayed how both of the beginnings of each, this the book of Vayikra, and the parsha b'chukoisa and varish and b'teichin shave and b'vchidas notes b'seifon b'siyum the parsha seinu. How the, what they represent is a shared theme that is linked to the end of this parsha and by extension the end of the book of of uh, of Vayikra. So zen nikar gamin and notes seifon b'tchilasan. So now we're going to see this concept that the end is wedged back into the beginning. Not only as it plays out in the written Torah, but even in the Chassidus on the parasha. Because the themes that are explained as the Chassidus on the beginning of Parshas B'chokois and the beginning of Sefer Vayikra, is linked in and explained in the, the, the Kutatayra for the end of B'chokois. So it all really links together. And not only that, what's really surprising, if you know the structure of Torah, of Lakota Torah, you'll see that it's really surprising how this works. Because, if you're looking in the Torah itself, the end of Parshas B'chokosai is naturally the end of Sefer Vayikra. What's interesting is in Lakota Torah, after the Alter Rebbe concludes um, there are other Ma'amorim that are included as well. And even at the end of those additional Ma'amorim, it comes back to the same theme, which is really relevant to Parshas B'chokosai and by extension the beginning of Ayikra, illustrating clearly that there's a link and a loop between the beginning and the end, not only in Torah but in Hasidus as well, of what these parashas represent. And we are going to unpack what, what it is with a, with a beautiful message for us. So what is the connection? The obvious link between the end and the beginning. When I'm looking at the book of Vayikra. So the obvious link between the conclusion of Vayikra and the beginning of Vayikra is that How did Vayikra begin? With the general introduction and the, the specifics of various carbonos that a person would bring. As the Pasuk says, when a person amongst you will bring a carbon. And then when you get to the end of the book of Vayikra, it also talks about Karbonus, two specifically. It talks about two specific kinds of Karbonus, namely, that a person has to tithe the firstborn of every 
flock of animals as a carbon tashem. And Bayes Maisa Behemoth, that you then count all the animals, and every tenth animal is also given as well. So out of all the carbonos, which are the two that are listed at the end of Vayikra, Bechor and Maiser? So we're going to realize from this, somehow these two carbonos, they represent everything about all of the carbonos which were introduced at the beginning of Vayikra. So if we understand what Bechor and Meiser are all about, we'll have a great insight into what carbonos are all about. So let's understand. Let's first distinguish what's the difference between Bechor and Meiser. And we're going to see that there's a very clear distinction, and this clear distinction will speak to the theme of what we're going to learn together. The firstborn animal, by virtue of the fact that it is a firstborn animal, is automatically holy. It belongs to Hashem, via the, the Kohanim. It's the Eibishter who decided that this animal would be born first and therefore is holy. We don't have to do anything to allocate it to be holy. Whereas whereas the Meiser behemoth is the exact opposite. It's completely dependent on us. We have to count all the animals. And then we have to either say or mark the tenth animal that this is the holy animal. So Bechor is Hashem's work and Meiser is our work. There's a powerful theme. This actually plays out in modern times in a very clear way because the idea that a firstborn animal is holy exists even today because it's a natural automatic process, doesn't require a base amigdash, doesn't require pedigree of koihanim, and doesn't require an action on our behalf. So it still applies today. Whereas practically there is no concept today of tithing one out of every ten animals to be given to the Kohanim. Because the Chachamim made a Gezeira that in the absence of the Beis Amigdash we don't separate Maiser Behemah. So that just illustrates clearly Bechor is completely out of our hands and therefore it doesn't depend on us and happens at all times in all situations. Whereas Maiser Behemah is very much about us whether we can or can't do the Havoyah. That also helps us to understand the order in which they are presented. Obviously we're going to first describe the Bechor in the Pasuk. And then we'll talk about Maiser because it's logical. Because what are Karbonos all about? From the root word Karoiv. It's about coming closer to Hashem. It's, a, it's an avoider that we do in order to bring ourselves closer to Hashem. There are two steps. First step is First there is the inspiration and the injection of holiness that the Ebesha gives us represented by the Bechor which is holy because Hashem said so. And only after we've been stimulated with that injection of holiness then you get the possibility of us being able to draw ourselves closer to Hashem because we've been empowered. And that is represented by Meiser where we do the action of designating a particular animal to be Meiser. So what do we see? David has to start the process of creating holiness so that we could respond and use that holiness in our own avoidah. That is what links the end of Vayikra, which talks about Bechor Meiser, back to the beginning of Vayikra, about the general principle of a person bringing a korban and thereby coming closer to Hashem. Because by the Kutatariah Mavur, the Altareb explains in the Kutatariah, Sha'odam Kiakriv Mikem Kodban Hashem, in addition to the obvious that Adam Kiakriv means a human being who brings a sacrifice to Hashem, the Altareb explains that Koyal Mashe Adam Ho'elyon, the Altareb says that the unique choice of the word Adam as opposed to, let's say, Ish or Gever, represents Adam Ho'elyon, the supernal man, which is indicative of Hashem, who is Mekarev Yakriv, who draws close, as Adam Shalomate Lelikos, Mikem Korban Gomer, who draws us, the humans, closer 
to himself. So that's exactly the point. The first step has to be that first there has to be an arousal from above. The Ebeshter has to initiate contact. And that allows us humans the opportunity to be able to come closer to Hashem. And only after that, then the Torah can get into the details of what we do to respond. We actually take physical animals and we actually bring carbonus to do avoid to move closer to Hashem after Hashem has initiated contact. That's talking about the animals that the human being brings through his own efforts. In addition to the physical animal that he puts onto the altar, also to work with the internal animal that he has and to refine it and elevate it and bring it closer to Hashem, which is Isarusa Dilasato. The the, the process or the approach or the arousal that comes from a human being. So that's the summary of how our voida works. First, Hashem has to stimulate and inspire us, and then we could respond and participate. And that fits perfectly with the two specific korbanos that are mentioned at the end of Parashas Bechol Koisai, which is the end of Sefer Vayikra. On the one hand, first you have Bechor, Kodesh Melamayla, the firstborn animal which is designated as holy, by Hashem's designation. And then following that, Umayser, which is Kaddish Ali Adam, you have the designation of one out of ten animals, which a human being has to do through their calculations and their efforts. So now we have the template. Hashem starts spiritual processes and we respond and we then grow and develop and get close to Hashem. So basically, these two concepts, Bechor, the firstborn animal, which represents Isarusa Dileila, the divine initiative. Or Maiser and the tenth animal, which represents Isusa de la Sata, human input. Kayom and Gam Beodam Gufa, both of those play out in the human experience as well. In addition to Hashem's experience with us and our reciprocal experience, it actually plays out, it plays out internally as well. Habakhoir Echodhu. There can only be one firstborn per family. Vim Yashabim Harehu Horishan. So if there are many, many animals that were born to this particular animal, the Bechor would have to be the first out of all of those animals. Now, spiritually, that represents out of all of the traits, all of the elements of the soul, all of the, what we call, the powers of the soul, the ability to conceptualize a new idea, to be open to learning new information, the spark of innovation, that is the part of us. That's the first step in the entire process. There can only be one first step. So the first step of the entire process of the Nishama is Chochmah. This is aligned with what the Torah tells us, that we have to sanctify the firstborn. The idea of being sanctified, which is also the idea of being separate, separate is related to Chochmah. Chochmah is distinct from all other processes because it's where a person is essentially open to something which is beyond themselves. That's where does innovation come from? Where do ideas come from? Where does inspiration come from? It comes from beyond ourselves. So it's out of the box. Whereas Meiser, which is all about counting out 10 different animals and then selecting the last of the 10, that's kind of in order to do Meiser, there have to be 10 animals so that number 10 could be designated as Meiser. And that represents that represents how we serve Hashem using the full spectrum of the 10 abilities of our soul. And the responsibility that we have is even if we can't get our entire soul to be aligned as it should, at the very least, number 10, the lowest, the most expressive part of Anashama, needs to be aligned with what Hashem wants, which means the part of us that we express to the world, how we think, what we say, and the way in which we behave, that has to be sanctified. So even if we still have distractions and temptations, at the very least, our behavior, the tenth element, has to be Kodesh. Like, for example, al explains that a Benoni who is not yet a Tzaddik, and yet is the individual we could all access, we could all reach and aspire to become, what is the designation, what is the definition of a Benoni, maybe still has internal work to do, but that which is out in the practical world, thought, speech, and action, completely dedicated to Hashem. Knowing that 
Bechoy represents Chochma, the beginning of the entire process of the Neshama's uh, faculties. And Meiser represents the final element of the soul's faculties, the ability to express ourselves into the world. So now we can understand, as we've already said, the Bechoy is already holy because Hashem said so. It's not dependent on anything that we will do to cause it to be holy. That is reflective of the concept that Chochmah within the soul, which as Al-Tareb explains in Tanya, is the capacity for a person to totally surrender themselves and sacrifice themselves for Hashem. That's not something we create for ourselves. Rather, as Al-Tareb explains extensively in Tanya, that is something we have inherited from our ancestors, and therefore it is part of who we are, like it or not. We don't create it, and we can't diminish it. Whereas base kedushas bechor sorry base the second part about it is kedushas bechor kayemes gambis manhagolas as we learned earlier even in the absence of the base amigdash bechor is still a relevant kedusha that has an application in our lives today because bechinas chokma nal shabenefesh kayemes tamit b'shlemes because there is never a time in the Jewish experience where the chokma dimension of the soul that allows a person absolute dedication to Hashem would ever be absent. Whereas, by contrast, when you're talking about the designation of Meiser, which is that you go through the ten soul faculties, and the tenth of those faculties, which is the translation of the internal work into how we live, our thought, speech, and action, that is not guaranteed because it's that depends on what we do. So deep, deep, deep down inside, of course, we're always whole. But how do we behave in practice? That's our choice. Therefore, it will be a different experience at the time there's a base amikdash, which means when there is clear, revealed godliness in our reality. And that will be completely different. Is mana golos to the time of golos. Golos is as a result of our avera. So we're not behaving as we should. So clearly, of course, our thought, speech, and action are not pristine. They're not the way that they should be. So that again highlights for us the connection between the end of Bechukhoisai and the beginning. Because what is Bechukhoisai all about? When it comes to the Pasuk that says at the beginning of our parasha that if you will keep my statutes, which Rashi says is really Amelim Batoira, that you're very immersed in Torah, and you will guard the mitzvahs, some of the Torah, the Altareb explains according to Hasidus, not only do we emphasize the part of the word, but we also emphasize together, goes together with movement. It implies, says the Alter Rebbe, the kind of avoidas Hashem, which is constantly moving and upgrading, beligvul, without any limits, without any restrictions. Where or how would a person reach that point that they could move in leaps and bounds consistently? That is mitzad b'chines chakiko neshama. That is because of the element of the neshama where the reality of Hashem is completely ingrained. It is etched into the neshama. B'chukoy saim chakiko. The word Bechukhoisai is related to the word Chakiko engraving. And that refers to Shoresh HaNeshama Kfish Chakuko Lemailo. That refers to the source of our Neshama, which is completely engraved and one. Because the point of engraving is that the material and the message are all one. So the Chakiko of the Neshama means the Neshama and its source, which is Hashem, are absolutely one and indivisible. The only thing is, there we're describing how the neshama has this unlimited capacity for growth because of where it is rooted. But the reality is, we're living here on earth inside human bodies. So therefore, we have a problem. We don't have longevity. We don't, we're not able to sustain that kind of growth and power and enthusiasm. To borrow the wording of the it doesn't stand on its own two feet. And it's not sustainable. The only way that we could get that power of the neshama to be sustainable in our lives is we have to do something. We have to do our avoidah. We have to do the mitzvahs. That will facilitate the power of our neshama being real in our lives. 
In other words, by performing mitzvahs here on earth, the person creates the viable conditions, the so-called structures within which it is possible to sustain and guard and guarantee that ongoing unlimited growth and upgrade, which is available to us because of where our neshama comes from, and again to borrow the wording of the Alter Rebbe, that it should be in a way that it is for the long term. So there are two factors over here. Our neshama's source is not our choice. It's not of our making. That's Nebuchadnezzar's gift to us that has chakiko, complete oneness with Hashem, and therefore can have no barriers to its growth and opportunities. Practically, in order for that to happen for real in our lives, we have to do something. We have to have an Esarusa de la get involved in mitzvahs. Bechokoiseteleichu is Hashem's gift. Mitzvoiseteshmeru is our response. So, these two concepts. The in, incredible, infinite power of the neshama, which is a gift because of where it is sourced. And the translation of that potential into reality by human choices as doing mitzvahs. That links, that's the beginning of Pashas Bechokoisai, links perfectly with the end of Pashas Bechokoisai, because you have Bechor. Same concept. means the indelible connection to Hashem that is implanted in our neshama, not by our choice. And that has to be balanced with what we actually do with the ten faculties of our soul, and most importantly, how it translates into thought, speech, and action. Now, you do our klal, we know Gemara in Brochus tells us that there's a principle. Everything is defined by its concluding elements. Out of the two, Bechor and Maiser, which represent two different elements of the divine uh, human interaction, how does the parasha end? Not with Bechor, it specifically ends with Maiser. So that leaves us no choice but to say, that Maiser follows Bechor, not just because that's the order of how things work, that first is an arousal from Hashem, which is represented by the Bechor, and then you have the, the human input, which is represented by Maiser, but actually wants to show us that there is an advantage to what we achieve through our efforts over what is achieved by Hashem giving us the greatest gifts. And therefore, because it turns out that actually our input is the chat, the goal, the highest aspiration of all of creation. Therefore, how does the book of Ayikra conclude? Dafka talking about Adam, so as to illustrate to us that the ultimate purpose of all Karbonos is to reach the point of human endeavor. And so therefore we can apply this principle back to the beginning of Ayikra and the beginning of Bechukhoisai as well. The fact that there is an awakening from us. That we bring a korban as described in Parshas Vayikra. And how did that happen? That was a response to and a result of the inspiration from on high. Adam Kiyakriv Goimer, as Al-Tareb explained, Adam Ha'elian wants to reach out to us and create a channel of connection for us. So the fact that that's how it is presented, it's not just because, look, it wouldn't be a lasting, meaningful input if it was just Hashem doing all the work and we didn't pick up the slack. And eventually, in, in, in a relatively short period of time, the great inspiration from on high would wear off, as we've seen many times in our history. So it's because of the, the human frailty that we've also now got to get on, the, on track and start doing things of our own. Because that will consolidate the inspiration and the awakening from on high. And therefore it will be sustaining. So it's not just that. It's not just a practical thing because people are fickle. And if you just keep pouring inspiration on them, it's not going to do anything until they actually start to work. It's not just that. It's not just a practical consideration. And it's far more profound. 
That is how the process of continual growth and upliftment in spiritual matters works. It turns out that there is a spiritual advantage and greatness to the awakening that comes from below our efforts which is even superior to what is introduced by Hashem's inspiration. So now we've got to understand this. We've already described that relates to the concept of Chakika, that the essence of the soul is absolutely one and innate with Hashem. And especially within Chakika, you could probably split hairs and say that there are different levels of how engraved something is. We're talking about the ultimate level of engraving, which is called the so-called letters of holiness that are part of the essence of the soul, or to put it in different words, they are letters that are completely one with Hashem's infinite essence. As described in the Kutatari, what's relevant for our conversation is, Bechukhoisai pretty much sounds like the highest level the Neshama could possibly be at. And not only that, it's a Vechinas Alicha. There's movement, there's growth, there's no limits. What could possibly be added to that? What possible additional value could there be in mitzvahs that we turn it into our practical application of mitzvahs? The explanation is what we've just touched on. That when there is tremendous input and inspiration from on high, that does not make it long-term sustainable. It will only be consolidated if it is followed by human endeavor. So Hashem can inspire us from here to the end of time until we start to do something. It's not consolidated. That's a principle that doesn't seem to make any sense. Because Yodua, one thing we know is when Hashem initiates a process without any, uh, so to speak, attraction from us. In other words, we haven't done anything. Hashem chooses to stimulate a particular process. That indicates that it's It's not that it's because Hashem preempted us and He figured He's not going to wait for us so He'll just start the process. It's because Hashem wants to introduce an element into the system that is beyond our reach. We couldn't have stimulated that process. And so the description of how that is expressed is the what we call because Hashem wants to share, because Hashem wants to be kind to us. Simple logic says now doesn't, doesn't make any sense. If Hashem is gifting us with something that is from a level that is fundamentally beyond our reach, I mean, it's, it is greater than not only what we could do, but greater than what we could imagine or experience. So how is it possible that that is going to then be upgraded or elevated or assisted because of something we do? Logic says, Just like this particular inspiration from Hashem didn't need to be introduced by our efforts, in order to initiate that input from Hashem, Surely by the same logic, you shouldn't need anything to ground it afterwards. In order to ground the awareness or the inspiration or the stimulation that came from on high, it didn't need us to get it started. It shouldn't need us to keep it alive. Okay, so then you'll say, well, the problem is not what the Abish is giving. The problem is the recipient. We're people. People are fickle. People are weak. People are finite. Maybe that's the problem. Shamshochi Kanal, again, we've got to clarify what's happening over here. In the case of an Isarusa Dile'ela that is not dependent on our input, it means that Hashem is giving from a level, where our actions have no influence. That means not only are our actions not going to cause it to happen, it's not that we did something to deserve inspiration, 
It means the flip side is also true. There's nothing we could do to mess up that hamshacha, that input. It is purely Hashem's choice to share kindness with us and nothing should be able to limit Hashem's abilities to share with us. So why do we have to ground it? explains simply why this is. Because we're talking over here where a person becomes excited or inspired, and that's Why is the person inspired? Because inspiration is pouring into them at this point. Hashem is actively inspiring these people. Not because they've shifted or grown or developed or, or moved in any meaningful way. As soon as that inspiration, that great d- divine input uh, stops, because the Abish only chooses it, it only, the Abish only shares it when he chooses to share it. But it's like being unplugged, and all the stimulation and love of Hashem that was being generated by that particular input from on high is no longer there, because the input is no longer there. Let's explain this a little better. So towards the end of the Lukotetoyo on our parasha, the Altarebbe explains, He references the mission in Pekiovus that says that if you want to avoid our virus, you have to know from where you come and where you are headed. On, because it says le'on, you're going to on, on gashmi. that refers to the physical space and reality. Whereas vi'ayin abuchinas chokma shelamayla mimokim ayin, as the pasuk says, vachokma mi'ayin timotze, ayin represents that which can't be. Um, it's not. It's intangible. It cannot be defined. Like chokma, which is completely beyond the concept of space, and even sometimes beyond the concept of understanding. So mi'ayin boss, it doesn't just mean where have you come from. It's giving us the answer right there. Hanis shoresh hanis shama hanis hanis mi'bichinas ayin. It says, where do you truly come from? Well, the source of your nishama is derived from a dimension that we will call ayin, meaning beyond anything we could comprehend or that we could that we could uh, define. When it says, where are you going to? That's referring to how Hashem will reward us in the future after the resurrection of the dead. Where will that happen? That's going to happen back in the physical world here on earth. So now ask the question. This doesn't seem to make any sense. Isn't it true that the entire reason the Neshama entered this world, which is a descent, because the Neshama is in a spiritual place and now it's locked into a physical reality, the entire purpose of that was that the Neshama should attain a higher dimension, a higher experience. So therefore, how does it make any logical sense that after the Neshama comes down into this world, detaching, in a sense, from its source, Sherish HaNeshama, which is iron beyond time, beyond space, beyond definition. How could the reward, the ultimate state that it's now going to achieve, be on, which is the parameters and the restrictions of the physical reality? It doesn't make any sense, right? Surely you should go to a higher spiritual place. It's specifically by being in the physical environment. That's where we could achieve the ultimate state, which is a home for Hashem, where Hashem can be absolutely exposed without any restriction. Dafka in the lowest, least likely place. Dafka kan lamata. It's specifically here in our lower reality. That's when Hashem's infinite light could be revealed. And from that perspective, there is no value to the spiritual over the physical because there is no distinction between them. And that is that's even greater than the level of Ayin because at the level of Ayin, spirituality is primary. And the physical has no real value. But at the level of Oyrein Soif, Gilo Yorin Soif, Physical, spiritual is all the same. Or to put it into different words, Kaloimar. Dafka Adam, specifically through human endeavor in the physical world, Nishlemes Kavonas Ho'atzmus. Will we complete the intention and the driving force that the essence of Hashem wants to achieve? Which is 
exponentially, infinitely higher and greater than even the spiritual realm called Chochmah. Because the Ebeshta had a desire, which means it's inexplicable. Why did he want it? Because he wanted it. What did he want? That the ultimate expression of absolute godliness should be in the lowest, most physical, most limited realm. concludes there, that refers to the spiritual level called Atika Kadisha, the Atika which represents the deepest kind of pleasure imaginable, translated into the words of the Midrash Nisava that Abishta desired the physical realm to accommodate and safe godliness. Therefore, what is the reward for us achieving what Hashem wanted to transform our world into His accommodation? That, that must play out in the world. The physical space. Because we well know that all reward plays out in the environment where the work was done. Where was the work done to create Hashem's so-called dream? Here on earth. So therefore, where is this reward going to play out? Here on earth. And now we can understand why the human effort elevates and outdoes the value and the power of that which comes milamaila, that which comes from the Isarusa Dileila. Because kol milamaila anything that Hashem is going to share with us will be what we call giloim, which means revelation. Anything that can be revealed, that can be shared, that can illuminate, has its limits. Could be greater revelation, lesser revelation, more light, less light. That means there are parameters and limits. But when we do what Hashem wants, that speaks the language of what the essence is looking for, the essence of Hashem. Hashem's essence and the intention that Hashem's essence has for our avoid in this world supersedes and is totally beyond even the level of Chafetz Chesed, free love from Hashem. Because that will also have its parameters and its limits. When it stops, it stops. So the bottom line is this. Our avoid Hashem reaches all the way to Hashem's essence which can never shift, can never be defined, can never have moments. Therefore, because we're locked into the consistent, with a capital C, the only consistent reality, Hashem's essence, that creates sustainability for the inconsistent, which if Hashem chooses to share, He will, and when it times up, times up. Now it consolidates because you're linked into Atmos. It's not just because we work hard, so therefore we kind of grab onto Hashem's inspiration and keep it. We transform Hashem's inspiration from just being inspiration, that which is given, that which is shared, to being an expression of that which is absolutely constant, Hashem's essence. This will also explain parenthetically why the Alter Eben at the beginning of Ayikra, tells us, After he explains that it's only once humans employ and initiate their endeavor, that's when Hashem's inspiration is lasting. He says there, Adam ki Yakriv. Where did the stimulation start from? That level called Adam Ha'elian, a defined, albeit very high level of godliness, but is defined as Adam. Where does our avoider reach? Loy Adam Hu. The level of godliness that is beyond even the designation Adam. Speaking the language of what we've just described over here, which is that our avoider gives an upgrade to Hashem's Isarusa Dela'ela because it now plugs Hashem's Isarusa Dela'ela, which came from a lofty but nevertheless level, into the essence which is beyond levels. 
So Kashem Shekenu Lamaila, that's how it is in spiritual terms, that Hashem's desire, the desire of Atzmus, of Hashem's essence, is specifically that we should do avoid in physical terms here on earth. That actually translates into an experience that we could all relate to ourselves. As the Gemara tells us, Bob Shaloi. A person would prefer a smaller amount of his own assets over something which is gifted to him from somebody else. Dafka. The nature of humans, how David has created us, is see, we much, much prefer, we get much deeper pleasure out of the things we have worked to earn. Anything that is given to us as a free gift without effort on our part, so we don't get the same pleasure out of it because that reflects the fact that it doesn't really represent Hashem's pleasure. Because it's not really what the Abishad chose as the source of his pleasure, Nisave, wasn't, Hashem didn't design the world so that he could shower us with gifts and we'd do nothing. So therefore we don't find real pleasure in just being given things for nothing. Specifically that which we work to earn. What a person had to invest in. That Adam wrote that's what a person wants. And when we say that's what a person wants, we mean in an extremely deep level that speaks to the core value and the core pleasure that a person could ever have. And that is why you've got this link from the beginning and the end of a process. As we said right at the beginning, not only does the part that deals with Pashas Bechokos, they speak to the same core theme as the beginning of Pashas Vayikra, but even the part that is after Bechokos, the Hoisophis, which are on additional topics, link back to the same theme. Shomavoyer, in those Hoisophis, you'll see Shiyam Akipurim, talks about Yom Kippur, which is Shabbos, Shabbos, the ultimate Shabbos, and Chassidus has a beautiful insight to this, who represents the deepest, most innate pleasure that a person can have that doesn't need anything else to create pleasure for it. Which is a radical explanation of why we don't eat and drink on Yom Kippur. Not because it's just a time of inoi that we're supposed to afflict ourselves, because we don't need these things to give us that tremendous pleasure in Hashem. The pleasure comes from within. Then, from that we move, we graduate to the holiday of Sukkot, which is a time of joy, or which is the ultimate holiday of the, of the, the whole series. So that takes this great, incredible pleasure of Yom Kippur, which is a one day of the year, translates it into makif, the environment, like the sukkah that engulfs us, so it kind of engulfs us, until it eventually becomes something personal to us. That we should be able to live in a world where we're cognizant of Hashem, and we serve Hashem with absolute dedication, and with nefesh chafetza, a, a, a soul that wants to, Meaning, what does it mean wants to do what Hashem wants? That means that the ultimate pleasure that a Jewish person has after Yom Kippur is over is, what's my ultimate pleasure? Doing what Hashem wants. Those words, a willing or deeply pleasure-driven, but not, not uh, God forbid, gashmistika pleasure. That, those words, that the soul has this tremendous will and pleasure, those are the last words of the Kutetera in, in this section. As is quite similar to the way he completes or concludes the, the, the mimer on Pashas Bechukhoisai, where he talks about Atika Kadisha, which as we explained before, which is the ultimate essence of Hashem's pleasure. Now what we know is Shemini Atzeres is considered like the oil, the essence, the pivot, the goal, the apex of the entire experience of the Yom Tevim of Tishrei. Which leads us to say that the enthusiasm and desire and passion and will and, imp- and pleasure that a person has from Torah Mitzvahs as represented by Shemini Atzeres is even superior to the deepest tainug expressed on Yom Kippur that doesn't need any moving parts in order to satisfy it. So that doesn't 
automatically resonate with us because how is it possible that the place of where you do eat and you do drink and you celebrate with meat and with wine how could that possibly supersede the greatness of Yom Kippur and the pleasure of Yom Kippur? Where we're beyond eating and drinking. So how do you graduate from being beyond eating and drinking to coming back to eating and drinking? The explanation is exactly aligned with what we said before. To the contrary. What happens on Sukkot and Simchas Torah? We re-engage with on, with the physical world. We eat and we drink. That's when you plug into Atzmos. Because as we said before, from the perspective of Atzmos, there actually isn't a difference between having the spiritual experience of Yom Kippur or having the joyous and, and, and materialistic experience of Sukkot and Shemini Atzeres. And because it is a reflection of Atzmos, it's also a reflection of the essence of our own soul, which comes to the fore at that time. Now you might ask, We've already said before that the pleasure experienced in Yom Kippur is not composed out of a whole lot of different things that cause pleasure. It is an essence pleasure. What could Sukkot and Shemini add to that? So that explanation will also be that will be based on what the Lukotatari explains at the beginning of our parasha, which is that you've got the concept of of engraving, where the letters are, the, are one with the material on which the message is, is imparted. So we understand that the letters that have been engraved into the stone are not like ink that has been superimposed onto the stone. It's not something separate that's been added to the mix. It's now part of the stone. But everybody would agree that if you've got a beautiful gem, the engraving that you might make on the stone will never reach the value of the stone itself. Particularly when the stone has absolutely no engraving, no etching, nothing. Just the pristine beauty of the stone itself. That will help us understand this question about Yom Kippur versus Sukkot and Shemineh We did say that the pleasure one achieves and experiences on Yom Kippur is a pleasure that is not composed by eating good food and having good drink, etc. It's just like at the essence of who we are. So that is That is similar to having letters etched into stone, which is a, a parable for the essence of Hashem, so to speak, etched into our neshama. It's all one thing. Two messages, so to speak, the message and the medium, all rolled into one. Whereas what we achieve on Sukkot and Shemini Atzeres, that would be like just experiencing the stone without anything engraved on it. That is where we reach such a high level. We're talking about the essence of the soul itself, not the oisios, the various elements or descriptions or expressions of the soul, the soul itself. And finally, they will explain to us why first we're told which speaks about the power of the neshama, the fact that the neshama is, so to speak, engraved with godliness. And then what do we do? Not after, but beyond that, we translate it into action. Like we said, is that represents how the message is engraved on our neshama. Whereas we said before, of course it's not like it's two separate things that have been bonded together. But we also said it's not as simple, as unadulterated as the stone itself. So therefore, whatever growth, whatever development, whatever unlimited opportunity for movement exists because of this dimension of the neshama, as we know, famously, we're way beyond Malochim because we can progress and they really can't. They're just kind of in a set orbit. 
But as long as a person is operating only on the dimension of the neshama that is gifted from on high, the so-called bechor, the shorish neshama, the oisis hachakika, there's still limits. But when we start to do what the Eibishter wants, which is that we should fulfill mitzvahs, and we should do them with physical elements, bechin us on in the physical environment. Now we're directly linked into Hashem's essence, which is beyond messaging and beyond engraving the soul with Hashem's message. We're in the message. We're not thinking of the message. We're not dedicating ourselves to the message. We're in the message. That's where you really start to grow. That's where you really start to move without any restraint at all. As the Mishnah there says, that when you're in the environment of on, that's when you really can move and you really can elevate. Therefore, by going through the process of which means moving in our Yiddishkeit because of the nature of our Neshama, which is so linked into Hashem and therefore is it's like the gift that Hashem gives us. And then we couple that our own efforts in the physical a limited world. The human endeavor. Then then we reach the point that is described at the end of the parasha where Hashem says, I will walk amongst you. It's a double expression implying two kinds of walking, two kinds of movement. The kind of movement that comes from on high towards us and the kind of movement that comes from us towards Hashem. And the two will synthesize Hashem. Which is why both types of movement, our movement towards Hashem and Hashem's movement towards us, are all represented by one word, one journey. In other words, this completely harmonious Dual direction connection between us and Hashem. Until, as the parasha says, Hashem will lead us, so to speak, upright to Eretz Yisrael. It's also a double word, which implies two types of stature. The stature of the influencer, Hashem, and the stature of the influence, the receiver, us. The same principle of Hashem reaching towards us and we reaching towards Him. And both of them incorporated into the same reality that you can't really distinguish between where Hashem is reaching out to us and us reaching out to Hashem. It is one reality. Because that will be the ultimate um, reward for all of our efforts to connect to the essence of our Neshama and translate that into the actions that we do. So we'll reach this point where you no longer distinguish between what Hashem is giving us and what we're doing for Hashem. It becomes one singular unity. She's Hasida, even though it's something we can't necessarily comprehend, it will be revealed in the time of Mashiach Bukar of Mamish. May that happen very speedily.